Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. My co-host Tom Nixon is here. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. It's already February. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, it's funny uh, here in Michigan, at least in Northern Michigan, it's been a very mild winter for the most part, but so we, we scheduled a getaway weekend. We're going to go, we run at a, like a condo. We're going to go skiing um, in, a, in a few towns over. And of course it's going to be like seven degrees on Saturday. So um, well, that's what you get. A perfect reason for me to lead off with our overrated, underrated question. Oh, wow. See, that was an unintended, a serendipitous segue there. Yes, it was. So my question to you is winters in the Midwest, overrated or underrated? Yeah, see, I'm going to say underrated all the way on that one uh, because, and and this is one of the questions when, you know, people, friends, whatever, um, people found out we were moving even further north to uh, Trevor City, where I live, you know, the question was, well, what about the winters? And many of these people were living in Detroit, like you do, Tom. Right. Um, and it's no picnic here. Right. And I was, <laughs> and I said to them, like, okay, you're the same people who are always lamenting how you can't ski as much as you want to, and how you know much the, the you have to suffer through winter because there's nothing to do. And I said, that's why we're moving, you know, further away. And I, I say underrated too. Obviously, that's a, a unique circumstance to me, but. Um, I, I think that winter here is an opportunity to explore lots of different things that, you know, you may never try, like like downhill skiing or, or cross-country skiing, snowmobiling, snowshoeing. I mean, winter, as they say, I think they say in, you know, the Scandinavian countries, there's no bad weather, only like bad decisions as to what you're wearing in that weather. <laughs> That's a terrible yeah. paraphrase of, of what's m- certainly a more graceful um uh, well put statement, but I say underrated. I because yeah. I really enjoy winter, and this is a subjective question you asked me, so that's my subjective opinion. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's winters are much more beautiful up there than they are down here in a major metropolitan area. So you've got some beauty to look at, if nothing else. But mm-hmm. it's certainly more recreation, at least easily accessible recreation. So. Well, it'll be interesting to get our guest take on on winters. He yeah. does not hail from the Midwest, so he probably gets a little more mildly. But why don't we bring in uh, our guest today? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to uh, Ross Guberman, who is the president of both Legal Writing Pro and Brief Catch. Uh, he's delivered thousands of legal writing workshops on four continents and is the opinion writing trainer for all new fred- federal judges, subscribers to the leading... Uh, legal editing tool Brief Catch include more than 10,000 lawyers and judges. He's also written best-selling books, including the Amazon bestseller Point Made, How to Write Like the Nation's Top Advocates, and Point Taken, How to Write Like the World's Greatest Judges, which Court Review called, quote, the best book by far about judicial writing. Ross holds degree, degrees from Yale, the Sorbonne, and the University of Chicago Law School. So Ross, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, delighted to have you here. And my first question is, did I pronounce Sorban correctly? Yeah, it was a little bit like your uh, translation <laughs> from the Swedish, right? Uh, it's charming, but yeah. it's uh, Sorban. Uh, so, but okay. I'm actually from the Midwest, Tom, so I, I can't be pretentious and correct your oh, pronunciation, okay, can I? I'm actually from Minnesota. 
Ah, uh, but you fled. Was it weather related? Uh, you know, I won't say I fled. I'll say I was pulled away. Right. Perfect. Uh, not really weather related, just sort of circumstances here and there. But I've done the whole thing, the, the snowshoeing, the cross country, and I've had my my fill uh, yeah. for life actually. <laughs> but does have does have some benefits. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to kind of dig back in your history a little bit uh, with the first substantive question here, Ross, which is, you know, I, I know you from just reputation. We've never, I don't believe ever met, or this is the first time we've really probably even spoke. Uh, but, you know, we bump into each other on LinkedIn, the way we know people in this digital age. Um, and so I'm curious, I'm, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about your background, you know, how you made the leap from Lawyer to now software in, uh, software entrepreneur. Um, really interesting background. You've you've obviously um, done a lot of interesting things in your career. So maybe just talk to us a little bit about that transition. I'm certainly interested in hearing more about it. Sure. So I, I actually did did practice for a couple of years after I finished law school. I, I went to law school uh, after abruptly quitting a PhD program. Uh, so. That will all make sense, I think, when we get to the software. So I, like I said, I practiced for a couple of years and enjoyed it. And then I branched out into a number of different things and started the company that's now called Legal Writing Pro. And that became a big training and consulting company uh, for law firms. At first, exclusively, mainly kind of new, new attorneys, summer associates, and then it just sort of expanded to uh, you know, more senior groups and also judges, corporations. Uh, and added some other products and writings along the lines. And then uh, about five years ago, I, I had heard enough people say that they would love to have some of the, some of the tips and strategies I teach automated into some sort of macro, I think was the word people used back then. And that's actually how, how, the, whole, how the whole software thing got started. It wasn't, wasn't really my idea. It was more the, um, the people you know, in my workshops or who follow me. Yeah, it's interesting. I, what was I, I when you when you kind of dug into that? I mean, was that an immense challenge to to think about, like going from, you know, an idea about, hey, I could turn some of this into a software product and actually bringing that to market? I mean, it seems like a just this giant challenge that would be tough to tackle. Yeah, I mean, I definitely followed the mantra of not quitting your day job, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, looking at at first looking at it as something that just to sort of uh, you know something I would find stimulating. You know, challenging. I actually, I actually did a sort of warm up on a contract only kind of a contract editing product of uh, put off to the side a little bit. Uh, I've got some plans in mind for it, and then, and then of course I ended up with with brief catch. So yeah, at first of course uh, it is a little intimidating even just to understand the process to try to find the right uh, developer and so forth, and to really you know this idea of a sold. Let's automate all this. It will be much more efficient. We'd love it. Going from that to actually, you know, churning out a product, of course, is is a challenge, but a but a good but a good challenge. I'm I'm happy I took it on. So before we dive really deeply into the digital version, which by the way fascinated me when I watched the video on your website today of how powerful this tool is that you've created. But obviously, a lot of your own intellectual property and some probably publicly avail available intellectual property went into this. So I'm curious, before you sort of digitized this for the world and automated it, do you think – I'm talking to two lawyers here, former lawyers, and I've never been a lawyer. 
but I, I write a lot and Jay writes a lot and I assume you write a lot. And I'm just curious on your take. I've, I've discovered that almost every lawyer I meet is a great legal writer, but not necessarily all of them are great thought leadership content writers. So what is the difference? And do you think they approach it differently or should approach it differently? I'm just curious your take on that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's great to hear during this dreary month of February that you think almost all lawyers are great legal writers. Uh, you know, I think the jury's out on that, but I'll, you know, I'll take it. I'll take your uh, glasses half full. I, I did approach. say only the ones I've met. I did. I see. Well, <laughs> you know, you, you have a high class crowd with Jay and Jay and his gang, I guess. Uh, so, you know, thought leadership, uh, marketing type writing, business development and writing is challenging for lawyers, just as it is for all professionals. And it's possible, you know, to kind of to take your point, it's possible that that a lot of lawyers are, you know, confident and comfortable with formal legal documents and sort of poo-poo uh, the task of churning out an article, when actually I would say in some respects, churning out a really effective, enduring bit of thought leadership, which is the trendy term, or just, you know, alert or article to be more pedestrian, I think that's really, really tough, um, again, as it is for, for all professionals. Do you think there are like common categorical errors that repeat a lot, for example, too much jargon or too technical or trying to impress the audience as opposed to relate to the audience, things like that? I mean, I think, you know, you just nailed it. Your, your three item list. I think all of that comes into play. Um, I also, I also know that there's, you know, there's a feeling of restriction or repression because you're always, if you're a practicing attorney, you're always worried about looking like you're giving legal advice or, Maybe you, you know, kind of related to that, you might think that you have, you have a certain take, right? Or a certain set of insights. And if you put them in an article, everyone's going to steal them. I mean, that's a, you know, whether I think that that's, um, you know, really worth not writing or not, that's certainly a valid concern in theory. So there's all of that. And then, you know, kind of going back to your original list, the other, the other problem is really taking, you know, what's often a little bit dense, dry, technical, uh, turning it into something practical and usable that people can relate to while still, of course, being faithful to the actual substance, right? You can't go too far. You can't, you know, you can't be a sort of uh, freelancer, just sort of paraphrasing the law. But on the other hand, you've got to turn it into something that people really, really can engage with. It's, it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. It Ross, I'm curious, uh, you know, I know you do a lot of training in this area, much of it obviously centered around legal writing as opposed to, you know, what we'll call thought leadership writing, but um, a lot of the same principles apply, I think. Um, are there, you know, writing is a trainable skill, you know, it's not some innate trait, uh, people can get better at it. Uh, and so are there, you know, when it comes to, you know, this, this sort of writing, this thought leadership writing, are there any you know, practices or um, methodologies that you might recommend I mean, for example, you know, something that I think is a, a very effective way to, to become a better writer is to write more uh, text posts in LinkedIn where you're constrained by 1300 characters and you have to get something practical, useful and interesting across in a very uh, tight constraint. So anything like that or, or any tips you can give to people to maybe just punch up their writing skills? Yeah, a couple of things on that. So yeah, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the constraints on LinkedIn, and then there's, of course, you know, for the for the brave, uh, there's Twitter. You know, the kind of Twitter yeah. post that actually is substantive and not snarky. So that's a, you know even more constricting. I mean, I do this for a living, of course, or at least you know I go out there and people seem to 
see, people seem to listen, but I've learned myself that trying to get my own points across in a LinkedIn post or a Twitter, you know, a tweet uh, can be challenging. I mean, I also, I also find, find myself in the same situation where I'm really having to look at my tweet and trim it down. So yeah, I do think those are excellent, excellent tools. As you said, you know, they're kind of hard to lie to yourself, right? You're either over the limit or pushing the limit or not uh, on the style side, but the, really the main, the main trick or tool I've found with, you know, thought leadership, business development, client alerts, apart from the style points you mentioned, is asking lawyers, especially you know, like partners who are just very, very immersed in the details of their practice, just asking them to you know, imagine after they finish the piece, imagine the target reader. And then the question I always ask them to ask themselves is, what is something you want that reader to do or look for after the article is over. And what they usually say is, well, I'm just trying to get them to see that the law is developing and they should stay tuned. And of course, that's just not good enough, right? I mean, you have to, you have to sort of sell someone on the time it takes to read one of those things. And the reward should be that you're actually gonna do something or maybe not do something, right? That could be something too, like not taking action when you thought you would, or at least have something to look for. And I've found that uh, does help people really, really take what they want to write, which is often just sort of, you know, regurgitation of knowledge and turning turn it into something that is actually going to be compelling. Yeah, right. It's it, same same sort of uh, point we oftentimes make, which is it's not about sharing more information. I mean, information is a total commodity these days. It's about helping your reader understand the implications of that information. And that usually involves some some step, or like you said, some some non-step that that they uh, they undergo in order to to improve their business, improve their life, whatever the case might be. So I think that's a, a really good tip. Um, any, I'm I'm curious about this too, Ross. Like any, obviously we've been talking a lot about writing here. I mean, do you see any? Uh, what, what's your? I don't know if you have an opinion on sort of the the different forms of communication. Um, do you do you see you know lawyers diving more into things like audio content, video content? Uh, is I I'm just curious. I'm not, I'm not sure whether you have an opinion on this or not, but just like in terms of the different means of communication and maybe whether there's any meaningful differences between them. Yeah, you know, it's you know, for all lawyers are uh, often thought to be rigid or resistant to change. I really don't see that as being the case. I think, especially, you know, unfortunately during during COVID, you've seen a lot of uh, adaptation as well. So there are there are many lawyers exploring all sorts of media. Uh, the ones you mentioned, obviously, we're doing a podcast right now. Uh, I've seen some very high quality videos, uh, explanatory videos with some actual, believe it or not, you know, good production quality. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think people really, you know, people are on board here. The idea that we're, we're in a world where people are very particular about how they learn, how they get information. And, you know, even if it's not your personal comfort zone, just trying to communicate with them in their preferred mode pays off. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we'll look back in five years and realize that X, Y, or Z was just trendy, you know, and maybe, I don't know, who knows, maybe there won't be LinkedIn posts or who knows what will be hot or not then. But I think, you know, being, being sort of open to all of those and even again, stretching yourself past your comfort zone, at least for me, for me personally, has also, has also paid off. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about Brief Catch then, if you don't mind, because I, I mentioned that I was just blown away by this demo video on your website. And I think we'll link to it in the show notes. And I would encourage anyone, once they hear you describe it, to go check it out in real time. So maybe you could explain at a high level, you know, without getting into every specific, but just how robust this tool is, everything it can accomplish, but really at the heart of it, what problem is this solving for lawyers? In there, I'm sure that's how you approached it initially, which is people keep coming to you with the same problem. I need to solve this at scale. So could you give us a little bit of an overview? Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, you were talking before about, you know, writing or looking back on your, on your past and trying to sort of memorialize it or turn into something concrete. So in some respects, it's that. It's you know, something that's still evolving. I worked on it this morning before talking to you guys. So it is it is my attempt to let people access, you know, immediately at any point during the drafting process or right before they want to file something or publish it, let them access immediately all sorts of triggers and flags and suggestions that cover most of what lawyers worry about, but often don't have uh, the time or energy to handle uh, let alone instantly. So everything from you know, consistency and wording, and even whether you're having you know consistently one space or two after periods on one extreme, uh, to a lot of what I've uh, learned over the decades when it comes to transitions and tone and style and conciseness and uh, vivid verb choice and everything in between. So it's sort of you know looking at looking at a piece of writing, and it could also be non-legal writing. I think product works pretty well for that too, although let others be the judge. And I'm just trying to let people have all that done uh, for them in the stimulation sense. And then they're going to go through brief catch and they get to make a lot of choices. I often give 10 suggestions for one edit. Uh, you know, you can pick and choose what you want to focus on. And it just lets people really, really uh, put their document in the best possible light without too much time or energy. And that's the idea. It's just to help people just make make their own points even stronger right and watching that happen like i said is impressive but what when i really got blown away was um you know i referenced earlier the publicly available ip that um at least as you demonstrated i think you know the brief was discussing uh maybe a statute or a ruling and the tool was able to contextualize that immediately and say yes there was that ruling but the one that you're actually describing further down is not that one from that year it's actually this one from this year so it can instantaneously access this huge vast body of knowledge to actually provide corrections along those lines as well yeah, I mean, you can kind of see how I would, you know, stay up late, right? And I'm, I'm always thinking of new things to add. Uh, obviously, you can't, you can't possibly cover everything under the sun. You know, some, what I try to do is just listen to people, like listen to my own users or listen to lawyers and judges, and they will actually tell you, you know, they'll give you very good ideas of things to add. And then my job is to turn that into something that can be coded, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, Again, there's so many different things that could come up, you know, mixing up two statutes, as you say, is a good example. Uh, and, you know, the more you can try to try to automate these, uh, the happier the users are going to be, but maybe just as important, the happier the end users are going to be, the clients, the judges, and the like. Ross, let's transition uh, to another product that you sell, which is uh, the books you've written. And, you know, Tom has written a book. I've written a few books. Um, we, you know, kind of 
it's a, it's an arduous process, but it's one we enjoy. I imagine you've written multiple ones. I'm I'm curious as to kind of your your process as to how do you how do you know when an idea um, needs to be a book? Uh, how is that? How do you have you made that calculation in the past? And then just maybe talk to us a little bit about your process and and the the process itself of having a book as how does that feed into your business? Um, is that, is that yeah, a good those off those point? are such great questions. I mean, it's interesting for us to go from these new types of media to book, you know, there's sometimes I get a little sad feeling inside that books are no longer exciting, right? That, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's kind of like end of an end of a conversation. Sometimes I'll someone's add, oh, didn't you write Point Made? Or when, yeah. when five years ago, 10 years ago, that's all people talked about, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the rule was if you're a professional and you want to do business development, you've got to get a book out there. Now that's changed. So, I'm I'm still old-fashioned though. I I, I love uh, I I love the books or the topics I should say of the books I've written. Um, I I'm churning out new editions, although I don't technically need to. I suppose right now I'm working on a third edition of one, second edition of the other. Uh, and one what, the reason I love the topics of my books uh, is that really it's just a reflection of the best lawyering I see and then the best opinion writing I see. So I've got kind of positive, upbeat books that talk about effective techniques with lots of examples. One, again, from lawyer for lawyers about uh, brief writing, motion writing advocacy, and then one for judges. So again, not as glamorous as uh, software, I suppose, but a little bit the same idea. It's sort of tracking my life's work. And, you know, as time goes on, you get new, you know, hot lawyers uh, appearing, some new judges, famous or infamous, and even some new techniques. So there, for example, the next edition of my book for Advocates is going to have a lot on visual, visual, you know, graphics, different types of uses of of charts and even photographs. Uh, so that's you know, it's kind of fun. It's like I'm getting to track stars in the profession, and then also ways that writing has evolved, or some would say devolved. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I, you know, as judged by uh, the Am your Amazon page, your your books are selling. I mean. So how do they fit in? Are they, I, I, you know, oftentimes think of a book as sort of the, the tip of the spear or the, or the top of the marketing funnel to use some jargon. Um, do you find that many of the readers of your books become clients of your, of your training business or purchasers of your, of your software? So, yeah, it's really interesting. That's, I would say that's changed because my first big book point made is came out in 2011. So kind of gotten to see, you know, see the trajectory. So, one thing I've learned is uh, if you in any way, shape or form have law schools assigning your book to law students for any reason, uh, something happens, you know, it takes a couple of years, but all of a sudden you, every group of every class of new lawyers, uh, suddenly they know your name, right? And then, and then, I mean, people back when I used to go to airports, I haven't been to one in a while, you know, people would believe it or not actually recognize me, you know, mm -hmm. law students, you know, people had just taken the bar. And first of all, that's kind of fun because it's good to know that it wasn't a miserable or painful experience for them to read my book, even if they're just pretending they read it, uh, even if it was assigned. But also, again, it 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 really does um, make things easier, I think, in the you know self marketing department. Well, I know you're not looking to write a third book, but if you, I have a name for you. If you ever tackle how to overcome writer's block, and it's simply point blank. <laughs> That's right. But you know, well, make it short and sweet, and that'll be the selling point. You just you gotta go. write two sentences and call the book <laughs> the buy writer's block. Yeah. It's funny because my graduate work was in 
literary theory and literature, but I'm, I am a, a very kind of process type writer. I mean, I don't believe in suffering or angst or blocks, or I look at it, you know, a little bit, I hate to say a little bit closer to an assembly line, um, which, you know, works, seems to work, right? That's kind of how I teach too. I try to demystify the process, but then I can't be a, you know, a suffering intellectual. So there's a trade-off. For sure. Well, Ross, uh, you mentioned airports. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about travel to, as we wrap up here today. But um, you, I know from your bio, at least some I read about you, it looks like you're a bit of a prolific traveler. Uh, you have been in the past. Um, what are some of the pla favorite places you've been? Like where, where have you, I know you said you worked on four continents, but like what are some favorite destinations? And then where do you want to go once you, we can travel again after COVID? Yeah, like, you know, this week I've gone to different floors of my house, uh, <laughs> took the dog out a couple of times. Uh, that's, that's about it. But uh, back, you know, thinking back, I mean, I've, I've had one, one really uh, fantastic thing about my, my career that I'm really grateful for is that kind of the two things intersect. So, you know, law firms tend to pick very nice places for retreats, for example. And plus, you know, I've worked with judges in different countries. So I've gotten to do a lot of you know, pleasure, business, mixed type travel, which is not bad. Uh, you know, that's why my kids, uh, by the time they finished high school, have been to 662 countries, because we would combine the two. As far as, you know, far as things that stand out, I mean, uh, I, I, I was asked to go to the kingdom of Bhutan. Um, I still remember the flight, you know, uh, over Nepal, it's kind of a scary flight. And I worked with the uh, new judges there in the parliament. I mean, that certainly stands out. I then went back to Bhutan uh, with my family because I loved it so much, uh, you know, just as a, as a regular traveler. Um, uh, you know, my personal life, uh, been, I'd say, you know, Greenland stands out, Greenland and Iceland. Um, uh, did some really cool things in Argentina. Uh, you know, been all, over, been all over Europe in different ways. I also lived there for three years. I mean, uh, you know, I... I, I love it all. You know, I've been all around, around Canada, you know, hopefully they're going to lighten up on the border and let us cross. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've really, um, the one place though, I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit disappointed, but we're going to do it next year. I really wanted to go to Antarctica mm -hmm. and we were going to go, you know, this, this winter, uh, but obviously it didn't happen. So Antarctica is, is up there. How well, about you? you? How about you? you? Do you have any dream? You know, um, I've got a bunch. I haven't traveled nearly as much as you. I mean, frankly, one of the, um, I mean, as as judged by how far down Antarctica is my, on my list of places to go, because I have so many more to go. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do regret like in my 20s and early 30s, sort of before kids not traveling more and trying to make up for that a little bit. Um, shortly before the lockdown, uh, the shutdowns happened, my wife and I went to Spain, which was a great trip. Um, so, but yeah, you mentioned Argentina. That's definitely high on my list of of places I want to go. So that's that's one big one. And then I have never been to Ireland, despite you know being 50% Irish and my family having just a lot of heritage around that that identity. And so so that's got to be on the list as well. So those are probably the the next two dream destinations. Yeah, I'm zero percent Irish enough. You know, I've done the Guinness tour <laughs> over there and the yep. countryside. You got got to got to make that a priority. Yeah, I'll, I'll yep. come with you. Happy, I'll you know volunteer to. Love it. You can show me around. It's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful country. Yeah, for sure. Tom, what about you? What's your next destination? 
Well, what we've been planning to do and we're going to do before COVID kind of shut everything down is we wanted to go where us Michiganders call out west, which would be like Jackson, Hawaii, Wyoming, that type of thing. You know, I'm not the outdoorsman that you are, Jay, but I really want to be outdoors and take in that beauty and just kind of live off the grid for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, there's still a lot. Of, I mean, I've traveled quite a bit domestically, but there's still places that, um, you know, we, we had a trip planned to Idaho for last summer that we weren't able to take and, and, uh, was really looking forward to that. So yeah, I'm, I think we're all itching for a bit of travel here. I, I can tell. Michigan, Michigan is a beautiful state to drive around. Even yeah. an outsider like me would, would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. Really, we do have has a lot to offer, right? Yeah. Have you been up to the Upper Peninsula before? I have. Actually, okay. one of my best employees uh, lives there. No kidding. I don't think I could live there. I think I'd last about <laughs> two days. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, I, you know, all it's, it's Minnesota for Michiganders. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would have been very exotic if we'd gone to Michigan from Minnesota as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Minnesota but, likes Minnesotans are like to stay stay in Minnesota. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Ross, well, let's, uh, that was a lot of fun and, and very interesting conversation today with you. Where, uh, where do you want to point people to learn more about you, connect with you, perhaps, um, maybe just direct them in, in a, to a couple links where they can find you? Sure. So I, I have a very, very raucous Twitter following, great followers. So Legal Writing Pro is the handle. Uh, or you can just Google my name. And then the software we discussed is Briefcatch. So just briefcatch.com. And that should be, you know, that should be more, more than enough of me, uh, those, yeah. two, those two spots. <laughs> Good deal. All right. Well, thanks a lot. It was great uh, having you on today, as I mentioned, Ross. And um, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.